Good evening. Today is Wednesday, April 27, 2022, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, this week's portion is Alcoholics Anonymous number three, and our speaker tonight is Melissa, Melissa C. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you. Thanks, Maggie Ann. Thanks, everybody. Hi, my name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York, and um, yeah, so I was asked to, you know, look through the book and choose a story that um, that I would want to discuss or the prefaces. And I really, I, I love the story about Alcoholics Anonymous number three, because this is the story of the man in the bed. You know, this is a story that um, is about the man that it's referred to a lot in the big book and lots of other snippets. And there's like a famous picture of it, you know, of Bill, um, you know, bringing um, recovery to this man in the bed. And so we're going to start right off on page 182. It says, one of five children, I was born on a Kentucky farm in Carlisle County. My parents were well-to-do people and their marriage was a happy one. Then it goes on to say that my case is rather unusual in one respect. There are no childhood episodes of unhappiness to account for my alcoholism. I had seemingly just a natural affinity for grog. My marriage was happy and I never had any of the reasons, conscious or unconscious, which were often given for drinking. Yet as my record shows, I did become an extremely serious case. And you know, the reason I like that is um, because this is not a program that's based on identifying the circumstances in our childhoods or in our marriages or in any other outside issues that we would like to point at to say that that caused our addiction. And, um, you know, and initially my early years of recovery was really spent on wanting to identify just exactly was wrong with my upbringing. Um, and uh, so that I could basically, uh, assign blame to other people for me being so screwed up with food. And, um, and I think that, you know, we can't assume that our compulsive eating is the result of childhood trauma, that it's a poor home life or anything that we can identify as having made us into addicts. The identification of us as addicts is that we have an allergy to a substance, for us it's food, and a mental twist that tells us that we don't have this allergy or that we can control it. And those are really the only, you know, qualifications for being in this program. You know, I also wanna say that I'm the youngest of, I'm one of five children. And if you ask different siblings in the family to analyze the family, everybody's got a different story. Everyone has a different view, a different lens. Um, you know, my siblings will say I'm the youngest and that I was overindulged and everybody just gave in to me. And I would tell you that I'm, I was ignored, you know, that I was the youngest and everybody was busy doing other stuff. And by the time I came along, my parents were tired, right? It doesn't really matter. It's inconsequential information. Um, and I think so much energy is spent in this vein and it's not terribly useful for working the steps. Okay, now page 184. You know, this man now, he lands himself in the hospital. Um, 
because once he starts drinking, he's violent and he acts insane. And so here he is, he's in the hospital and it says, she told me that she had been talking to a couple of fellows about drinking. This is his wife. I resented this very much until she informed me that they were a couple of drunks just as I was. That wasn't so bad to tell another drunk. Then she told me that these two drunks she had been talking to had a plan whereby they thought they could quit drinking. And as part of that plan was that they tell it to another drunk. This was going to help them stay sober. All the other people who had talked to me wanted to help me and my pride prevented me from listening to them and caused only resentment on my part. But I felt as if I would be a real stinker if I did not listen to a couple of fellows for a short time, if that would cure them. And I think that's the difference between when people come and they share their experience, strength and hope is they're not coming and moralizing and lecturing. And I've had, I, you know, my story is um, I battled obesity um, on and off for all my life. And so at various points in my life, well-meaning people who loved me would sit me down and give me a good talking to. They, were, they would say, and my parents, we'll, we'll do anything to help you. We'll do anything. They threw lots of money at it, this problem. They, they gave me lots of nutritional advice. Everybody was coming at me to give me more information about how to manage and control this thing that I cannot manage and I cannot control. And the big difference was, you know, all those people were telling me, you're killing yourself, you're killing yourself, you're killing yourself. But when I went to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, what I heard was, hey, I was killing myself and here I am alive and well and I'm not killing myself anymore. And the reason I'm here to talk to you is this saves my life. And that's very different. That's a very different way to come at somebody with some information. And for me, just like this man, that was enough to get me to, to listen, you know? So this is the way that we can help others best, not full of frothy emotional appeal, but an honest exchange whereby we let the other person know that carrying the message to them is how we stay sober. In fact, in the doctor's opinion, it's right there on the first page, which is something that many of us read, you know, like one of the first times we sit down with somebody. The very first conversation we have, it's as part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conception to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. So right off the bat, when we start helping other people, we tell them, hey, I'm here to save my life. And by the way, if you get well, you're going to have to do the same thing. So there's no trickery to that part of the deal, right? We tell people why we're offering to help them. Why am I offering to help you? Why am I offering even to be on this meeting right now? Yes, it's my heart's desire to be useful. And the stories, we'll talk about that part also. But this is, I'm on a life-saving mission for me as well. This is about saving my own life. Page 185, it says, I looked up. So here he is, he looks up and there were two great big fellows over six foot tall, very likable looking. 
I know afterwards that the two who came in were Bill W and Dr. Bob. So he's there and they start talking to him and they start giving some incidences of their drinking. And pretty soon he realizes that both of them knew what they were talking about because you can see things. It says you can see things and smell things when you're drunk that you can't other times. So it's like only another compulsive overeater can talk. You know, when I sit down and I tell people the crazy stuff I did with food or the crazy things I did to try to manage my weight and my eating, nobody's all that shocked, right? When I tell people that I went to a doctor, I never even met him, by the way. I met his like nurse slash receptionist and they never even looked at anything about me that kept handing me pills. And I'm a smart person and I kept taking those pills, right? And I would lose weight. It was Fen-Fen, by the way. That was all the rage. I lost weight on it, but I found out, and this probably doesn't shock any of you, that I still ate. <laughs> you know what I did? I just didn't take the Fen-Fen when I wanted to binge. I just didn't take it. And, and when I tell people that who aren't in this program, they think that's insane, right? And when I tell people here, we nod our heads. We say, yep, that's insane. That's insane. You know, have a seat. I'm crazy too. Um, you know, and this is how we work with others. We speak about our own experiences so that there's credibility in our identification. It's very different from preaching. We don't preach, right? And after a while, here it goes on to say that Bill said, well, now you've been talking a good long time and let's talk a minute or two after hearing some more of my story, he turned around and he said to Bob. So Bill turns around and he says to Dr. Bob, and um, Bill D, who this story is about, says he didn't. He doesn't think that he didn't think that they knew that they he could hear them. But he said, Bill turns to Bob and says, "I think he's worth saving and working on." And they said to me, "Do you want to quit drinking?" It's none of our business about your drinking. We're not up here trying to take away any of your rights or privileges, but we have a program whereby we think we can stay sober. Part of that program is that we take it to someone else who needs it and wants it. Now, if you don't want it, I will not take up your time and I will be going and looking for someone else. Right? And then it says the next thing they wanted to know was if I thought I could quit of my own accord without any help, if I could just walk out of the hospital and never take another drink. If I could, that was wonderful. That was just fine. And they would very much appreciate a person who had that kind of power, but they were looking for a man who knew he had a problem and knew he couldn't handle it himself and knew he needed outside help. And the next thing they wanted to know was if I believed in a higher power. And next, they wanted to know would I be willing to go to this higher power and ask for help calmly and without any reservations. So I love this because really, um, I'm always looking for good directions for helping other people. And here we have it, here's your directions. One, we asked the person, do you want to stop? And no judgments if you don't. And I tell people that, you know, who call me, who look for help, who say, I can't put the food down. I can't put the food down. And I say, do you, do you want to? 
like, do you really, really want to like right now, right, right here and right now? And if you don't, I'm not judging you. Like, I'll still be nice to you. We're still friendly to each other. You have to really want this too. Can you do it on your own? You know, and, and sometimes we need people who say, yeah, I think I can. I'm going to try bright line eating, or I'm going to try Weight Watchers, or I'm going to try this plan or whatever plan they're going to do. And I like great news if you can, that's awesome. But I need to find someone to help who must be sure that they can't do it alone. Because if you're sure you can do it alone, you don't really need me, right? I can be your friend, but there's no work for me to do with you. You don't need the steps, right? You don't, you can do it on your own. You don't need a spiritual experience. It's not required. Number three, told them what they needed. They need someone who couldn't do it on their own. So I've had conversations with people where I've said to them, look, you might not be ready right now and you might think you can do it on your own and that's great. I gotta be going. I gotta be moving on my merry way. You can call me whenever you want, but I gotta find, my life depends on it. I need to find someone who can't do it on their own. Four, ask if he believed in a higher power. And, you know, I have to say that this is not as nearly as difficult as us overthinkers like to believe it is. It doesn't say if you can define a higher power. It doesn't say if you're certain what your higher power is. It doesn't say what you call your high, nothing. It says, do you believe in it? And what I would say for me is, I could start with just the mere opposite of my lowest weakness, right? Because that's what I came here for. I am operating on my own on a low level weakness. I've got this thing that's killing me. I can't manage the most basic human function of how much food to consume, right? And I can't, and I know it, and I can't do anything about it. I can't live in the live within the boundaries of my own knowledge. That is a major problem. I am a victim of a low weakness. It's easy to believe in just the opposite. There's gotta be something more powerful than me. There must be. And we can start that way, just with the basic. We start there, but we have to have an open mind and seek with intensity right? Seek with intensity. And five, willing to go to this higher power and ask for help calmly and without any reservations. Hold nothing aside. Page 187, it says, I was willing to admit to myself that I had hit bottom, that I had gotten hold of something I didn't know how to handle by myself. So after reviewing these things and realizing what liquor had caused me, I went to this higher power. That to me was God without any reservation and admitted that I was completely powerless over alcohol and that I was willing to do anything in the world to get rid of the problem. In fact, I admitted that from then on, I was willing to let God take over instead of me. Each day I would try to find out what his will was and to try to follow that rather than trying to get him 
to always agree to the things that I thought up for myself were the things best for me. So I love that because there is really clear directions for anybody who's grappling with how to take a step three. It means that you're no longer telling God what you need in order to get well. It's basically you come and you say, of myself, I am nothing. Of myself, I am running amok. I'm not doing very well. Here, have me. You decide what I need. You know, and I say when you take a real step three, basically what you're saying to God is, I want to be on your team. I'm on your team. In fact, I'll work for you. Tell me what to think. Tell me what to do. Tell me who to hang with. Tell me where to go. I'm yours. Right? I'm yours. So he took, right? There he was. He took steps one, two, and three right then and there. And so what's so powerful here is the precise directions for taking step three. And that each day, every day, I'm going to try to find out what his will is for me and to try to follow that. And for me, this says that I've got to be seeking God right in the beginning. Prayer, meditation, quiet contemplation, and then act accordingly right? Then follow suit and act. And I would like to, so here now they're going to continue talking to him. And I think this part's so funny. He tells them that he'd like to quit at least five, six, maybe eight months until I get things straightened up. Right. And, and I laugh at that because that was me. Like I want to quit long enough so that I'm not suffering from the consequences of my compulsive overeating. I didn't really wanna stop compulsive overeating. I wanted to stop the consequences. And I love their response. It was, mm, we've got some bad news for you. <laughs> Whether you quit six days, months, or years, if you go out and you take a drink or two, you'll end up in the hospital tied down just like you've been these past six months. You're an alcoholic. So they told him the truth. This is permanent. It's not going to get better on your own. You know, the next question they asked was, can you quit for 24 hours? And he's like, mm, yeah, I can do any, I can do it for 24 hours. And that took a load off of his mind. This is where we get one day at a time, this idea of one day at a time. They just told him that you're going to have to quit permanently, but don't worry, only worry about today, just today just today, only today. Um, you know, so on one hand, the illusion of ever eating or drinking normally gets smashed, but we only focus on the day that we're living. One day at a time, I can apply this to all my troubles. I can, and in fact, what I found out when I turn my will and my life over to the care of God, God gives me the strength and the resources I needed just for that day. I don't need to worry about tomorrow. I'm not living in tomorrow yet but I get what I need today for today. You know, the story goes back and forth and I know I'm really running out of time and it goes back and forth being told from Bill W's perspective to Bill D's perspective. And what I love really that I just, that I just wanna end is I still go to meetings because I like to go. I meet the people that I like to talk to. And then probably the most wonderful thing that I've learned from this program, I came into AA 
solely for the purpose of sobriety, but it has been through AA that I found God. And it says also, Bill explains to, to Henrietta, Bill D's wife, that the Lord has been so wonderful to me, curing me of this terrible disease that I just wanna keep telling people about it. And that's precisely how I feel. Today, it's not a life-saving mission. Yes, I'm here to save my life, but I do this because when you've experienced a miracle, your heart's desire is to shout it out, to tell other people because you know it works and you want it for them too. So with that, I'll pass. Hi, sorry, I got kicked out of the meeting. Um, and now I'm co-host again. Um, and so we are all good. We will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing questions relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, a question please raise your virtual hand which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. And, and I will now turn the meeting over. <laughs> Great, Michelle M, you're up. Hi, everybody. I am Michelle M., gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, everybody, for your service tonight. And thank you, Melissa, for a share that I needed to hear today. I was catapulted back to memories of remembering feeling so alone and not being able to relate to anybody and then coming into the rooms and finally feeling like I was home. My mom, I, I remember the countless times of being sat down of, you know, there was one time my mom was just yelling with tears, sobbing, chicken, fish, fruits, vegetables. Why can't you get it? And I was in a food fog and I was just, I couldn't feel it. I knew she was in pain. I knew she was in agony, but I also knew even in that, at that young age, I can't stop this. My dad sent me a picture today on the family thread of me at two years old with my little chubby cheeks holding an ice cream. And, you know, anybody else would look at this picture. And I think the picture is adorable, but I think I was born this way. I was born with that compulsion. I remember I was, parents talked about it even when I was a child. And the thing that resonated so much for me in your share was like coming home and spreading the message. That was how this miracle was able to take place for me. I listened. I shut up because you knew what I was going through. I couldn't argue it. I had to stop fighting. 
I had to focus on the similarities, not the differences. And I, I agree. Sometimes I say my life today, even in the hardest moments, I had a rough day today. I had an emotionally tough day, right? Did I turn to the food? No, but my life feels like a fairy tale because of how different I physically, emotionally, spiritually feel being in this program. And no matter how bad it gets, I have every single person on this Zoom room, plus thousands of other people out there who I could talk to, and they know exactly how I'm feeling. I truly feel like I am never alone. And for anybody who is still struggling, reach out, get into the center of the herd. This is a family. It has saved my life. And for tonight and for today, I am very grateful. So thank you for your service. Michelle, Catherine, you are up next. Thanks. Uh, Catherine, compulsive overeater. Uh, just starting to work the, the steps as of this week. I've been in OA for a couple months, but uh, I just starting to work the steps now. And I really needed this, uh, this share tonight. So thank you so much, Melissa. The, it was and drawing my attention to this story, I hadn't read it yet, and it was it was exactly what I needed. Um, and the, your message of just sharing, like bringing the the success of this program out to other people and sharing that experience is so so powerful for me today because like this is this is what I needed to hear. That's the the strength of this program is seeing so, so many people who have found success with this program and, and being able to trust that like, I've got, you know, 14 years of proof of trying as hard as I could to do this myself. I can't do it myself. I can, I can do what, what Bill in, in the story did and turn my, my life over to the program, I can follow it and I can, uh, I can find what that higher power is for me uh, and, and really commit. So thank you so much for sharing this and, and bringing my attention to this story. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Dawn, you're up next. Hi, I'm Dawn. I'm an overeater. Um, Melissa, thank you for, uh, for your very insightful uh, discussion on this. I was wondering if I could get you to expand on uh, this notion that our addiction, whatever it is, is not really based on our experience or situation, things like childhood trauma or lost jobs or whatever it might be. Um, it seems like those things are so can be so tightly wound together um, I think of my, a lot of my own story happened in the context of chaos and abusive environment. Um, but I know at the end of the day that it was me who lift, lifted the fork or the drink or the whatever to my mouth. Um, nobody made me do that. And that there are a million other people with similar circumstances that didn't eat, didn't use, didn't drink, didn't fill in the blank, didn't do that. But I was, I was hoping to get you to elaborate a little bit more on your ideas about that. 
Thanks. Yeah, for, I absolutely. Thanks, Dawn. I love, um, I love discussing that. First of all, it says in the book that the reasons why, you know, um, we can't answer the riddle. Why some people respond, you know, so to look for causes, what caused me, what childhood situations caused this, you know, we don't know. It says we can't answer the riddle because everybody here is going to have a different background story. And the reason that I think that um, it's important to kind of now, I'm not, I'm not against like therapy or any of those other things. They're awesome. Therapy is great. I'm not against therapy, but it doesn't cure this. This is this is not. This is a 12-step program of a spiritual awakening. This is not a 12-step program of of analysis of psychoanalysis and. Really, what I can tell you is that everybody here is going to come to the table with their own set of experiences. And um, and if and I remember sitting in meetings, there was um, someone who talked about being um, being sexually abused, and, and and there were other people who may have had that experience. And I think that is a common that might be a very common thing, but it's also common among the pop. Unfortunately, it's common among the population at large. And there's also people here who were never sexually abused. So, and I think the danger is, is that people look to identify out. Now, here's the other thing that when I'm busy trying to identify what caused me to be like this, even if I can identify it, unless I'm gonna go in a time machine and undo my past, I'm 53 years old, I have to do something about today. I can't, my parents made plenty of mistakes. I'm a mom, I made plenty of mistakes too. Like I have a fourth step for that. And, um, but I also am certain that even if they intended to hurt me, which they didn't, I know my parents didn't, I'm still the adult who has to do something about it today. And if I walk around assigning blame, to parents who are, you know, aging and then gone, I'm not going to get well, you know. And I think that's the that's the big that's the big thing is that um, I think it gets in the way of the time that I could spend, you know. Um, and I think also part of this is a step three understanding. Basically, when I'm saying that. I, you know, they should have done a better job. I'm saying I know better than God, that my past should have been different. I have no control over that. It happened. And so I'm going to believe that there's an awesome, amazing power because that's, that's how I need to experience life. I have to experience life that way with the power that I can trust. That's fine. That yeah. That I might not understand, but I have to accept. I hope that helps. Thank you, Melissa. Lita, you are up next. Thank you so much, Lita Compulsive Overeater. Melissa, thank you so much for your share. And thank you so much for the clarity. And what I really heard come out from so many amazing points in your talk was how much this is a program of attraction. And I walked into a room and I still have, I mean, I've been in the program a little over two years, but I still have the most vivid memories of walking in absolutely frightened and walking into a room of people that 
I didn't expect to see because so many were right-sized, right-sized in their body, right-sized in their minds. And they got up and they were speaking of, you know, tales of days gone by when they had, you know, excess of, you know, 20 pounds, 50 pounds, 200 pounds. And it was absolutely mind-boggling to me. And it was frightening because I'd never been into a 12-step program in my life. And I had no clue. The only thing I knew about was the first step because that's the one that has the really good publicist. That's the one that's shared everywhere. I think perhaps if two through 12 were shared, I may not have stayed for so long. But it was alluring. And the thing I found most alluring, in addition to all these people who had been through hell and back, and were smiling and cheerful. And I had two months in actual rooms before things went on to Zoom. And and I, my third meeting that I attended, it was a party. There were almost 100 people there. They they all knew each other. I, I felt like a new kid in school or something. It was, it was kind of ridiculous. But the thing that was most, like, reassuring to me was the people who stood up and said they really didn't have much of a clue as to how it worked or why it worked but they knew that it worked and they knew that if you were willing and you could follow direction that I could achieve the same success that they had and that was the sweetest most alluring prospect in the land so thank you for bringing that all up for me and making me remember those days and still focusing on that's what I want. I mean, they talked about the promises and how they all came through. And it was amazing. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll do this and I'll work on following this and it will never work for me. And um, yeah, sure. Fooled me. Okay. I followed instructions. Please just tell me what you do. I will do it. And um, so far, the magic is still working. It continues to magic for anybody who's new, for anybody who is struggling Pretty much if I can do it, everyone can do it. I don't understand how the car engine works. I know that it does. I don't understand all the magic that's in this program, but it works. It really does. And I am so grateful for all of you and this program. Thank you. We will now stop the recording for unrecorded questions or shares. Would the Zoom host please stop the recording?